the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Yes, it is Thursday, March 11th, 2021, as we head into our two of our daily three-hour show. It's a delight uh, to welcome back David Harsani, a senior writer for National Review and the author of an important book, First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. David, thanks for being available. Thanks for joining us again. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You getting excited? Your president's going to address you in a primetime address in about two hours. What he won't do is answer a single question from a reporter, not even the friendly ones, which is 99% of them. It's really odd. It's super odd. He's gone something like 50-odd days since a solo press conference. But that means since he's been president, he has had no solo press conferences. I think it's unprecedented. I was asking um, – you probably know Tevi Troy. I was asking him if he knows an example to the contrary. He doesn't. I, I, this has got to be unprecedented. You have these monumental well, things going on, border crisis, energy, stimulus, which are all, much of which you've written about and I'm going to ask you about in the last few days, some great stuff you've written about, and he won't take a question. The Andrew Cuomo thing is odd as well. It turns out you saw this video, I think, maybe you did, of Kamala Harris walking off the stage when she's asked about Andrew Cuomo. No, I didn't see that. She's asked if she has a comment on Andrew Cuomo, and she just silently walks off the stage. Bill de Blasio today called on Cuomo to resign. Now, I get that there's Cuomo de Blasio bad political blood, but this whole idea that Kamala Harris was going to be this great hero and this great symbol for what women can achieve in America by becoming this spokesman and vice president turns out, as we probably knew ahead of time, but as we now see in actuality, no, their hero is a guy named Bill de Blasio who has the uh, the wherewithal to stand up and call a spade a spade here. Not Kamala Harris. She's gone silent, as has Kristen Gillibrand, as has AOC. It's pretty incredible. Right. I think, um, like you said, I mean, I, 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 you know, the administration keeps saying this is one of the most momentous moments in American history. This bill is one, you know. Yeah. Before they passed it, it was just a uh, COVID relief bill. Yeah. Now it's a bill that's going to fix child poverty yeah. and everything else. Yeah. And yet the president can't answer a single question about it. Now, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm just I'm just a columnist, right? But I <laughs> never worry about going on a show or, you know, worrying about what questions I'm going to be asked because I know what I believe and I'll just tell people. It just seems, you know, ridiculous to shield politicians in this way. It doesn't seem ridiculous. They know they can get away with it because there won't be this immense pressure for for him to answer questions from the media, which would not, which most presidents would not get away with. That's an interesting point you just made. You know, you're, you're you and I are probably close to the same age, somewhere around fifty. Is that close to mm-hmm. accurate? We've never been elected to anything uh, outside of maybe a precinct committeeman. We certainly haven't shared Senate foreign relations. We certainly haven't grilled uh, Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas and Lawrence Tribe and presided over the Senate Judiciary Committee. 
And, you know, we say yes to most interviews. <laughs> you know, we do. We're pretty, we're pretty comfortable with ourselves here. This is extraordinarily odd, extraordinarily odd that a man with the resume of not only Senate Judiciary and Senate Foreign Relations Committee chairman, but vice president, former vice president, two terms, won't take a question. It's really odd. It's, I mean, well, and, it's, it's a farce. Yeah, we, and we, we need to remember that he was during the you know campaign. He didn't really take many questions nope. either. He's always coddled and you know tucked away and, and all of that. I think it's because, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, I just believe that he is probably unable to answer the questions yeah, in the too. way that they want. And they're very nervous about what he's going to say and what yep. he's going to remember. Yep. I have no, you know, I know that people don't like to hear that and they get mad when I say it, but I just don't see any other reason for this kind of, you know, he's done his whole presidency without answering questions from journalists. And most of them are not going to ask him tough questions to begin with. They're just going to ask him what he wants to be asked. Maybe think- two Fox reporters will ask him something difficult. I think you're right. I mean, But you get a sense of how bad it is when in front of a teleprompter, he can't even do the Department of Defense, that outfit over there headed by the general. Right. I mean, this this is not good. It's not good. And I don't think so. I don't know how he's going to go do this for four years. Yeah, I don't either. I don't see how. And and by the way, has anyone ever asked him during the campaign? Did they ever ask if he would run for reelection if elected? No one has asked that question either. I remember he made a statement uh, that he he was going to run again, or, or that he wasn't just uh, one. You know, yeah. he wasn't just a bridge <laughs> presence or something like that. But no one's actually grilled him on it. I mean, I would. Lo- I mean, I, I obviously I'd never be able to ask him questions. I wish I could, but I mean, I would ask him about you know the ton of things he's never asked. Title Nine. He was accused of sex, you know of sexual assault. That's I'm not right. saying it's true. That's right. But yet he wants to strip college students away. He wants to strip their due process That's rights right. away. I mean, no one has ever confronted him with that. Not once. By the way, you made, you made another interesting point just in, in, in the glide of that last sentence. You said you won't interview him. You know, the opportunity wouldn't arise. Compare and contrast that. Donald Trump, I mean, I think it was probably a mistake, and I don't quite understand it myself, but Donald Trump at least, you know, he went to Bob Woodward for hours, George Stephanopoulos, you know. He was hyper-available. Yeah, hyper-available, whether good or ill. You know, you can't say he, he, he held the press in the contempt of war that they kept saying he did when he was doing that. I mean, I think this is more war on the press. I really do. It's not allowing the press to ask the president a question. That's a hell of a thing. It's a hell of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think the president needs to be out there every day and no. you know doing no. press conference over, but occasionally, especially when signing, you know, this legislation that's immense, right? I mean, it has a generational uh, impact, right? And he cannot simply answer a question about something he says is the most important thing that we've done in recent history, or whatever the quote was. I, I think that's, I think that's the problem. But you know, I that mean, this, along with the border crisis, I want to do all of this with you because, right. yeah, no, your column, what pollsters should be asking about the COVID stimulus bill? <clears throat> Excuse me, David. <clears throat> I'm sorry. It's a hell of a good column because you isolate some some things that I, I wish the Republican Party were a little bit better at putting out. You know, it was hard to kind of find out what was in in this mess. We had to go to writers like you, which I'm delighted to do. Um, but uh, <laughs> how much do you like John Kennedy these days? Is someone going to put a book of the wit and wisdom of John Kennedy together at some point? It would be a bestseller. I saw him today saying calling this a COVID bill is like saying the stripper really likes you. 
<laughs> this guy is incredible. He's got that sort of old Southern charm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, he pretends to be, you know, this country boy, but you know. Oh, you know, he's he's he well educated. Funny. Oh no, he's. I think he's University of Virginia Law School or something or Harvard. He's he's very smart. Yeah, yeah. I would I not so. tussle with him. All right, so we have 852 million to civic volunteer groups that don't create any job. We um, have an emergency rescue bill where a third of the proposed funding comes next year or later rather than right now. Uh, $86 million to bail out union pension plans. I mean, this is a liberal wish list. I'm not even, I'm not even talking about all of it. About 7% per year analysis in the Wall Street journals, about 7% of the $1.9 trillion directly goes to testing and contact tracing and vaccine distribution. Um, well, th- my beef this isn't with, COVID with, relief. With, it might be 9%, right? You know, between right. Seven. I'm sorry to interrupt, but my, my beef here and the reason I wrote it in that way and as questions is because liberals have this thing they do where the pollster will ask uh, – folks, you know, do you support the COVID rescue relief bill, <laughs> whatever yeah. the name they've come up with it, yeah. for it. And everyone's like, yeah, of course I want a COVID relief bill. But they never ask them specifics. It's like when you ask someone, uh, do you want to help uh, alleviate or tackle climate change? And like, of course sure. I do. But when you ever you dig deeper, yeah. what are you willing to do for it? Well, you're willing to spend $27 a year, I think one poll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So and then, but then liberals run around saying everyone supports our agenda. Everyone supports <laughs> our agenda. Everyone wants to fix climate change. Everyone wants COVID relief. Oh. I want COVID relief. The government compelled people to close their business and destroy their lives. I want the government to help those people. But that's not what this is. This is everything, you know, a big wish list of spending for liberals, like you were. Yeah, it's almost everything but COVID relief, actually. Almost everything but <laughs> like they COVID. avoided it on purpose, right? Huh? Yeah, right. Um, can you stay two segments, by the way? Because one of the things that, sure. that the, the left has done a very good job on that very issue you're talking about. Do you support and then say generic good sounding thing? Insert F7, generic good sounding thing. Do you, do, like, for instance, do you support overturning Roe v. Wade? No, of course not. Not when you word it like that. Right. No one wants to support overturning a Supreme Court precedent. But then if you break it down as to what Roe v. Wade stands for and what overturning it means, you get a different result. Well, you did this with Planned Parenthood, a column on defunding Planned Parenthood. I want to talk about as well, if I can, with you when we come back. That and the border children in cages crisis. We'll be right back with more from David Harsani of National Review. He is um, Worth reading every day. He's very productive. Senior writer for National Review and author of First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. We'll be right back with David. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have David Harsani with us. He is a senior writer for National Review and the author of First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. Uh, David, I want to do the um, Planned Parenthood thing you wrote, but before I go there, I want to take you back a day or um, or two. The outrage, where is the outrage over children in cages? You um, You put together a series of quotes from 2018 that were really good. Joe Biden stating that a policy that separates children from their parents is unconscionable. Uh, People like Joe Scarborough comparing ICE to SS guards, AOC breaking down in tears, uh, 
New York Times calling Donald Trump a baby snatcher. I'll add one more, and you'll remember it as well. It was the Nancy Pelosi statement that I don't understand why people aren't uprising all over this country. People thought that had to do with something else. It had to do with the the, the, the children in cages meme. And um, we have right now something like 1,200 more migrant children uh, in detention facilities than um, than happened under Donald Trump, who actually got control of it after a little little ham handedness. And we have a full blown we have a full blown crisis or emergency at our border now, so much so that the president of Mexico is now saying Joe Biden is responsible for this. Um, I, I, I don't know what more to say about it other than, you know, um, it's hell of a hell, hell, hell of a hell of a job, Biden. Hell of a job, Brownie. Huh? Well, I mean, I am offended, not that easily, but I am offended by dumb historical analogies having to do with Nazi Germany. And uh, we were bombarded with them at the time. Uh, from, you know, people comparing these detention centers to concentration camps and et cetera, um, which were offensive. I think that, indeed, uh, the Trump administration wasn't prepared for what they were trying to do at the border. I think that was a mistake. But, you know, whether you think it's the right thing to do or not, it certainly uh, was not something nefarious in the sense that we can't you can't simply let people wander over the border with children when you don't know if it's their children and just let them move along. The children can be abused, and that's why they're separated in the first place. It was a court decision that that uh, that made the federal government separate kids from families. It wasn't uh, Donald Trump, and it wasn't Donald Trump who built those cages in the first place. It was the Obama administration. Um, it's a complicated issue. And it's complicated now, except that Joe Biden pretended that it wasn't at the time. And now he essentially invited people to come to the border from throughout Mexico and Central America. A lot of those countries are third world countries, frankly, and many of them are, are, are you know, people want to escape and come here. And we can't have that kind of crush at the border. And that's what we have now. And he won't speak about it. And uh, this press secretary, secretary won't take responsibility for it. And here we are. You make an important point that I keep uh reminding people of. I can't say it enough. I, I went down, Bill, when, I'm talking to my producer, when did I go to the border with Andy Biggs? About two years ago. We went to Andy Biggs, Congressman Biggs here, David, took us on a tour of the border. And we were watching people cross. I mean, we watched it happen. And I was with a mainstream media reporter who was on the trip with us. And he said, oh, look, there's a family. It was a a, a man, a woman, a grown man, a grown woman. And three youngsters. And I said, you have no idea that's a family. You just, you can't say that. You don't know that. Go talk to them if you want, but don't, don't tell me that's necessarily a family. And one of the border patrol agents who was standing there with me said, that's exactly right. We have no way of knowing if that's a family. We can go and detain them and find out and ask them questions. We're stripped obviously of, of a lot of personnel to be able to do that. But more often than not, we find that those parents, those adults are not the parents of those children. They have no relationship to them. They're paid smugglers. They're paid coyotes bringing these kids across the border and getting paid to do it. It's important to recognize I mean, we wouldn't let, we, we, yeah, we wouldn't let, we wouldn't let families come into the United States not with kids and through the airport mm-hmm. or, or yeah, and, and with kids and not find out if it's their children or we're supposed to allow people who wander through the desert into the United States just do whatever they want. It's just an, it's insane to think that for the children's sake, first of all, and for, for the sake of law and order. Uh, I'm I'm pro immigration, but sure. I want an orderly I want an orderly system that, 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 that 
checks and people and back to parents and allows us to know who's coming and going. I don't think that that's too much to ask. We can't have anarchy at the border, then we're not really a country and we don't have a law and order. It's that simple. Well, I think also it's not too much to ask that if you and I have to be tested to go from state to state, certain states, that uh, people coming from other countries where COVID is much more rampant should be tested too before they're released in the general population. As we are now seeing, they are not being tested and it is creating more and more of a problem. I, I mean, the hypocrisy here and the public health danger and the child crisis, humanitarian crisis, and the drug crisis have all been exacerbated in about two months. It's all been made worse. Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no you can't argue with what you just said. It's a complete fact, and everyone knows it. Everything I just and said is fact. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. All right. I, I've run our clock. Uh, we have a couple minutes. Just say a word or two, if you want, about uh, the Planned Parenthood funding issue, because I, I'm really glad. There's not a lot of people paying attention to this. I was glad you were. Do you want to say something about it real quick? Yeah, just the Texas... Uh upheld tech uh, i'm sorry a texas judge upheld texas's uh, defunding of planned parenthood for through medicaid for abortion and uh and that's a, a big step maybe it'll you know i don't know if it'll be upheld if it moves up the system hopefully it will be because states have a right to do that and planned parenthood isn't you know like it's an abortion is their main business it's how they make a lot of money they have around i think it's 600 million dollars in taxpayer dollars sent to them every year and I think it's a huge issue. I mean, I think it's a moral issue, but it's also an issue about states controlling their own dollars and who they send it to. And hopefully this will be the beginning of many other states defunding Planned Parenthood, which Republicans promised to do a long time ago and never went through with. What is the reasoning there? What is the problem there? Is it such a great lobby? Do they have such better talking points? Uh, they do. Has the, has the religious uh, element of our politics kind of taken too many absences from leadership a lot of that leadership is not what it used to be a lot of it is gone i it's it's an odd it's an odd thing that but you just don't hear it talked people, about the way it used to be 10 15 yeah i, I think people ago. think about planned parenthood as a yeah. you know place where women go for 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 legitimate health care reasons and that's true that they do but there are other people who can do that the only reason they have a monopoly is because we keep sending them right. tons of tax dollars to, to be a monopoly but it so, also you know, snuffs I mean, out 350,000 lives every year also, also right. in that's the name right. of public health, which I think that's is an right. assault on reason and human life. Yeah, we're going to look back at this and it's, we're going to think of this sort of thing as barbarism. I think so, too. I think so, too. Good for you for saying that. Good for you for saying that, David Harsani. And for, have you I don't ever, think it's a religious thing either you know i, I mean no it doesn't uh, have to be it's a, yeah no it's, it's a rational it it's a yeah. uh, it, it certainly doesn't have to be uh I, I i there are atheists for life um and you can certainly get a morality out of the declaration of independence which doesn't dictate uh any one particular religion or another or even atheism um yeah you can still respect life uh david you're great have you ever been in radio yourself because i ask because you write things that are just great prep for radio hosts you're <laughs> no, I haven't. I usually hide in my room and write things, right? I don't. I don't. Well, well go back. Avoid all the people. Go yeah. back to your room and write, so I know what to do tomorrow. All right, David Harsani <laughs> from National Review. God bless you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Are you into college basketball, the NCAA tournament, March Madness? If so, this is your time, your favorite time of year, I would assume, right? 
In recent years, one of the little-known inspiring March Madness stories has been the rise of UConn's basketball program under Hall of Fame coach Jim Calhoun. Born to Lead, it's the newest film on Salem now, showcasing Jim Calhoun's and UConn's story from losing his father at a young age, instantaneously becoming the man of his family as a teenager, to his rise through coaching ranks, and eventually leading UConn to three NCAA championships. Born to Lead features interviews with Jim Beheim and Mike Krzyzewski, Richard Hamilton, Ray Allen. Get ready for March Madness by watching Born to Lead, now available at SalemNow.com. That's Born to Lead at SalemNow.com. Make sure to use the promo code PHOENIX for additional savings. My producer, Bill, claims he's the most or likes to call himself the most uninteresting man. Is that what you call yourself? How do you put it? Sure. The world's least interesting man. The world's least interesting man. Turns out he's maybe one of the world's most interesting is it because I think I'm not interesting? Yeah, I think it's because you think you're not that it turns you into someone who is. Because you do things that many would consider mundane, ordinary, workaday, banausic, if you will. But you do them at a level that is distinctive, that is different. You cut your own hair. That's interesting. Is that okay that I said that? Oh, yeah. That's uh, yeah, interesting. You put it well. It's kind of a, a relentless pursuit of efficiency in all things I like to consider it. And a ruthless efficiency. And fanatical devotion to the Pope. Right. You have all these lists and spreadsheets over unreal things, fantasy teams. Things oh, here that we go with the fantasy. Things again. that don't happen. Contests that don't exist in reality. Conflicts that don't exist. You have all these lists like Rain Man. Do you have a serious injury list like Rain Man? Insulted by Seth Liebson, March 11th, 2021. And then you gave me this phrase earlier today, which I love. What is it? The error of recency. Yeah. Tell, tell me about the error of recency. Is this every man is a fan of his last book kind of thing? Oh, it sounds like it is. Yeah. yeah it's, the thing you saw the latest resonates with you the most. So give me a for instance. Oh, maybe – Tom Brady's team loses one week and, and you know, the you think it's a losing team. Yeah. The columns pop up that say, oh, is, is Tom Brady finished? Oh, this this team is on the ropes. OK. The error of recency. Yeah. People are often called uh, in my world. They, we, we sometimes refer to them as um, beware the man with one book, guy who only quotes one book. You know, it, typically it has it, it's the last book he read or she read. But the error of recency. That's really good. And um, speaking of other things that you take the mundane to new levels of, you also run the stairwell here looking for personal bests. Did you run today? Did you? How many miles did you run today? Uh, about one one-hundredth of a mile. No, I, I ran 110 meters in the street, so that's about one-sixteenth of a mile. One-sixteenth of a mile. Yeah, 100 meters would be one-sixteenth. Is that one trip around the track? 400 meters would be one trip around okay, the here's, track. Okay, here's why I ask. I did four, a little over four miles today. It was my understanding that there would be no math. Right. I did a little over, so I'm thinking that's 16 trips around the high school track. Is that about right? Yes, it would be. So why is what you did if, as one sixteenth of a mile not that? Not one trip around the track. 
That would be one-fourth of one trip around the track that I did. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that very much. Um, audio. We have um, – when we come back, I want to do this. This is important, uh, I think. It's uh, the, the latest Prager U because I was talking about wokeness in my monologue and the representation of it on the streets – which I think we're going to see more of out of Minneapolis, I have to tell you. I am not looking forward to this. But I, I have a feeling that Derek Chauvin, I think, I think, I think he's going to be found not guilty. I think. And boy, it's going to make, it's going to make Rodney King look like a walk in the park. That's my suspicion. So let's understand what Antifa is up to because they will be part and parcel of this We'll do so when we come back. Oh, good. And Mike, uh, our expert on the border crisis, uh, called back. We'll go back to him as well. I'm Seth Liebson. Room for more, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 508 0960. I asked Mike in Maricopa to call back. He did, and here he is. Mike, thanks for calling back. I really appreciate your expertise. Well, very good. I thank you very much for your broadcast and for the opportunity. You know, when when we, especially like on your show, when we're trying to inform we, the people, of what's actually happening, you know, we we touched on the deal of about a lot of people think that it's oh it's a border thing i live in michigan or i live in montana i live in massachusetts it doesn't bother me i know sometimes when we're out here and we hear the news about some big snow in minnesota or a hurricane in florida and i'm thinking to myself what does that have to do with arizona but what we have to realize though is that what goes on in the border does affect the rest of the nation. Uh, oftentimes we hear about, oh, there were so many people killed in Chicago over the weekend and things, and the people, the media, the the gun grabbers, they'll call it gun violence or stuff. But what's going on, especially specifically with Chicago, is that it is such a hub. Once Once the stuff comes up, through Arizona, and it makes it up to Flagstaff, the drugs, and then it gets on uh, Route 66, I-40, and goes up to this main distribution hub, hub of Chicago, where they've got a convergence of a lot of freeways, rail destinations, and things. So when these and and then as the drugs get broken down into smaller and smaller increments, then it's being sold by on the street corners by the gangs. And these people that are shooting each other in Chicago are one gang competing for the uh, turf to be able to have a lucrative street corner to sell drugs on. So for the people that might be listening in another state going, uh, here we go again about this drug stuff and the border and who cares but this is what is fueling the violence all across this nation you know we when a couple of things uh, when we first started off we i established uh, my main topic that i wanted to 
point out that these cartels, we need to view them as insurgent groups, not DTOs or transnational criminal organizations, because when we call them criminals and things, then that conjures in one's mind that these things can be handled by the police and handled by the military. And when we left off, we were talking about that helicopter that got shoot down, shot down in Jalisco uh, back on the 1st of May 2015. So as these Marines had fast roped out of the helicopter into the LZ, and as soon as they hit the ground, the people with the machine guns mounted in the back of the trucks opened fire. They killed both of the pilots, and then they fired an RPG and sheared the tail off of the helicopter. It fell out of the sky and exploded, and one person was lucky enough to survive that. So just to wrap your head around it, and you know, the, the media has done such a poor job of informing we the people of what an insurgent group is, especially after September 11th, 2001, they convinced us that some dude named Mohammed yelling Allah Akbar, and that can't really be any further from the truth, because if we really want to be honest with ourselves and truthful and looking at this through a clear lens, the American Revolution was an insurgency because an insurgency, the the main grouping would be your uh, the political subversives, then the guerrillas and the terrorists, and then a smaller extent it would be the auxiliary and the underground. Now the political subversives would be like the leaders, and you know in the American Revolution we had the people like Thomas Jefferson and Paine and Ben Franklin, the people that were elected sent to Philadelphia to start talking about the Declaration of Independence. And then you had the guerrillas, the average farmer that was out there shooting at the redcoats, and then I'm sure that if you had people that dressed up like Indians and went into Boston Harbor and threw the cargo into the into the water, they would be called terrorists nowadays. The so, only let me stop you. you. You've you've put a lot out there, and and I love what you've said, Mike. It's it's really important. And two things I want to address specifically. First, the point about what happens in Arizona um, can matter to Chicago and vice uh, to Illinois and vice versa. Um, totally agree. And nowhere, by the way, is this more true than with the uh, drug issue, uh, meth and fentanyl uh, and 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 other illegal substances. Nowhere is this more true than in that, which is why the attorney general of Montana has signed on to the case the attorney general of Arizona filed against the Biden administration on the protection of our border because, as he said, I think his name is Knudsen, uh, Attorney General Knudsen in Montana. I think that's his name. As he said uh, the other day on television, I was watching an interview. He says, you know, the drugs, the, the, the meth problem we have in Montana is meth that comes up from the border in Mexico and starts in Arizona and Texas and California. Uh, this has been recognized for years, even um, Supreme Court uh, Justice Antonin Scalia in a marijuana case pointed this out in the 90s when he talked about even homegrown drugs uh, are never more than an instant from the interstate market. When Colorado became the first state to legalize marijuana, and I know I was talking about meth and fentanyl, but it, it's all the same wholesale point. When Colorado was the first state to legalize marijuana for recreational use, 
you had law enforcement saying we have Colorado marijuana in West Virginia. I mean, this this stuff, it's not confined to one state and nowhere is this more true than the drug issue. So you're absolutely right. And it reminds me of um, it reminds me of the story. Bill, Bill, Bill knows where I'm going right here. Right after uh, right after the Battle of Gettysburg, when General George Meade uh, did not uh, did not pursue General Lee's army. And after 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 beating them at uh, at uh, at Gettysburg and he wired Lincoln saying, at least we drove the invader from our soil. And Lincoln turned to his secretary, John Hay, and said, when will my generals ever get it out of their heads? The whole country is our soil. And I and I, and I, and I think that's an important point here when we talk about, that you're making, if I if I may. That what happens in Arizona when it comes to illegal activity can end up hurting people in Illinois. That that's 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 the first point I want to make. You're welcome to respond to it. The second, there are all these terms for what the men of 1776 were doing. I call them revolutionaries, and I don't like the term uh, insurgents and guerrillas for or terrorists. Or one man's freedom fighter is another man's uh, terrorist. I've never liked that, and I'll tell you why as we go to break, and you can stay on and respond on the other side if you want. Is because I don't. I think it confuses means and ends. What were the ends for which they were fighting? The ends for which the revolutionaries of 1776 were fighting were were what? Freedom, equality, natural rights, natural justice, natural law. Liberty and equality, that's what they were fighting for. Terrorists, as we have come to know them, that sometimes claim to be freedom fighters or like to use this terminology of one man's revolutionary is another man's terrorist is another man's terrorist. What are they fighting? What is the end for which they're fighting for? Usually tyranny, usually more tyranny. You can respond to all that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Mike in Maricopa and I were having a bit of a dialogue about a few different things, the cartels and their reach throughout the rest of the United States, as well as the terminology. Mike, you unloaded, I unloaded. Any follow-ups? Well, you know, okay, we use the word insurgency. And yes, sometimes we can have agree to disagree whether this group is or that group is. And some people, like you say, one man's terrorist, another man's freedom fighter. But if we define the word insurgent, and that it's insurge, and it's a Latin base, and it means to rise up. So it, it means that people that have been under the boot of tyranny, and they rise up to throw off what they perceive as wrong. And, you know, uh, also the word terrorist. And, yes, I agree with you that sometimes those are pretty harsh terms. But, you know, when a terrorist group, and and I don't, uh, you know, we hear about, oh, bin Laden and al-Qaeda, and they're a terrorist group. Or the PLO. I've heard it a lot with the PLO as as freedom fighters, right? Correct, correct. But, uh, you know, when a terrorist, a group, I disagree with the very term a terrorist group. It would be more of an insurgent group that uses the military tactic of terrorism. Because when a terrorist 
or a group or an insurgents carry out an attack, they have a message for two separate groups. Yes. One of them is the victim mm-hmm. that they carry out mm-hmm. on that attack, yep. and the other one would be the onlookers. And it's a message to them that if you don't fall in line, this is what's going to happen. There's to a you. third. There's a th- third purpose, which is recruitment. Oh yes, yes, very much so. And you know, we've cut. cut Okay. All of this is the stock and trade of cartels, by the way. Yes, absolutely. You you know, and this goes back to the message that we were talking about, trying to say, hey, America, wake up. This is not just a border thing, because there's some rules of war. Rule number one is to realize that you are at war. Right. And too many people are asleep thinking that it's just a border thing. Right. And that's actually a really good point. It it, it requires uniforms. It requires uh, identification. It usually isolates noncombatants from the battlefield, which is not anything a terrorist would, rec- would would respect, or for that matter, an insurgent typically wouldn't respect. Right, all those things. Right. Uh, rule number two is who is the enemy, mm-hmm. and then and then rule number three is what is the battlefield? It has to be defined. And right now we are at war. You know, it was it was about ten years ago. There was down in Sacatone. That's a little Indian deal on the east side of I-10. It's a little gas station convenience store. And they had uh, a a van full of illegals had pulled in there to get fuel. And a rip crew, that's from a rip-off crew, and they went in there and jumped into the van and drove off. And they were having a shootout with AK-47s up I-10 in the morning during rush hour. No, right. Mike, this is... Man, you're a wealth. Stay close and call again. I really appreciate it. But yeah, we go back to Justin Bello and Justin Bellum. Justice in war, justice in going to war. Nicely put, Mike. Really well done. We'll be right back.